Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Houston Astros 6, the Cleveland Guardians nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I think we all knew, I think we all knew when we saw Justin Verlander's name on the schedule that he was going to be kicking off the series for the Houston Astros that we might be in a little bit of trouble, that our offense eh, might struggle a little bit. And boy, that is definitely the top storyline of this game. This is one of those games where I, I don't need to go back and watch the highlights. It's pretty clear what happened in this game. I mean, Verlander basically just took us to school, took our young hitters. 39-year-old Justin Verlander took our young hitters to school. He gives up, they give up three hits on the day, Houston pitching. Three singles. That's it. That's it. They don't even walk that many people. One walk given up on the day. So four guys reach base the entire day for the Cleveland Guardians. And yeah, it was kind of a rout by the Houston Astros. I mean, there was never a moment in the in the eighth inning, but it was already it was already a six to nothing game. Right? They threaten a little bit in the eighth inning. They get two guys on base. In fact, before I forget about it, let's just mention the fact that their right fielder and their center fielder almost collide earlier in the game. And then in the eighth inning, they do collide out there in the shadow of the 19-foot wall. They slam into each other, and Austin Hedges is on with a fielding error. What was going on between left field and center field yesterday for the Houston Astros? I mean, that's that's pretty bad stuff. I mean, this is Major League Baseball. You make that mistake once, fine. But to make it twice, oof, that was rough, rough stuff uh, out there in uh, in left center field. So, um, yeah, Verlander absolutely dominated us. That's the top storyline of this game. It's not, it's not the biggest box score in Verlander's life. He goes six innings pitch, gives up two hits, no runs, one walk, five strikeouts on 96 pitches, He's hard hit six times. So what was working for Verlander on the day? They were just staring at his curveball. Just staring at it. He had a 45% CSW on that pitch, not because of swing and miss on the curveball. He had nine called strikes on the curveball. What? They were just staring at it. Uh, the fastball, he got four whiffs on. He does get some strikeouts on the four-seam fastball. Uh, gets a couple of strikeouts on the curve, and then gets one strikeout on the slider. We also couldn't do much with his slider. I mean, we fouled it off a bunch. That's what we did on this day. We fouled off a bunch of pitches more than anything else. We fouled off 15 fastballs. We fouled off seven sliders. That's how we ended up getting ahead in the count, and that's how he ended up striking us out then. Um, yeah, it's a really weird... I mean, his total CSW on the day is only 24%, so it's not like this was... A hugely dominant strikeout, Justin Verlander. In fact, I mean, he's, his strikeouts per nine are a little bit down on the season. So that's not really his game right now. But he got the strikeouts when he needed them. And looking at his pitch location, he was up a lot on this game. He was up with fastballs. Every fastball is pretty much, I would okay, 95% of the fastballs are above the belt. Heck, 50% of the fastballs are above the strike zone. 
He was throwing the fastball up. And then normally you would expect to see curveballs, a big pocket of blue down below the knees, right? Below, below the belt at least. But no, even the fastball was up on the day. And we still couldn't do anything with it. There were a ton of fastballs up in the zone above the belt. In fact, oh, I'd roughly say 75%, 70-75% of his curveballs were above the belt. And we still couldn't do anything with him. And then the sliders were all the way. He was not being very aggressive with his slider. He was missing away a ton, keeping it away uh, to his glove side a ton with that slider. Um, looking at where the strikeouts came, uh, going back to some of the results here, uh, he gets a few strikeouts with fastballs at the top of the zone. Gets Nolan Jones to chase up at the top of the zone and on an 0-2 count, just blows him away. Gets Will Benson at the top of the zone on a 2-2 count in the second inning. Blows him away. By the way, Will Benson getting the start in center field. We were close. We were close yesterday. I had said maybe Quan gets the start in center and Benson starts in left. All right, well, they flip it on me. Quan stays in left. Benson gets the start in center field. So, yeah, they are finding ways to get Benson and Freeman into the lineup. Ahmed Rosario DHs and Freeman gets to play shortstop. So, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Freeman plays second base and Andres Jimenez DHs or something like that on the day because uh, on this on, on tonight's game because that's they seem to just be moving Freeman around, just cycling them through. So it's always going to be interesting to see the lineup now with so many. I mean, there's not a clear like utility guy. There's not a clear bench guy, right? Everybody needs at bats now. So it's going to be really interesting every day when they release that lineup to see what they're doing. So Benson strikes out on a high fastball here. He also at the top of the zone got Amin Rosario on a slider on a 2-2 count at the top of the zone. And then he's got two curveballs that locks up the first batter, Stephen Kwan, on a 1-2 count and just locks him up with a curveball. And then gets Benson uh, on a curveball down at the thighs in the fifth inning, locks him up. And I would love to see one of those pitching ninja overlays to see the fastball that Benson swings at and the curveball that locks him up. Because I'm guessing, I'm guessing out of the hand, those look like the same pitch. You know, we talk about that tunneling all the time, right? You want your fastball and your curveball to look like they're coming from the same plane, from the same spot. And then one of them just, the bottom drops out of it. And the other one rises and smacks the top of the zone. That's the kind of tunneling you want. And I feel like that's exactly what got Will Benson here, right? He whiffed on that high fastball. He was trying not to do that. So when he saw that pitch out of the hand, he's probably thinking, okay, here comes another high fastball. And then, boom, curveball drops in right at the thighs. And it's a called strike three on Will Benson. So, you know, it was probably a good thing. I said this on Twitter last night. There probably is a silver lining to this. And the silver lining is probably that now they've seen what the best of the best looks like, right? Our young rookies. Jones and Benson and Freeman, they've seen what the best of the best looks like. And they know what they're going to have to compete against if they want to, you know, be considered a great offense, if they want to be considered a playoff team. They know the level of pitching they're going to face now, right? They, they've seen it. They, they didn't have success, but they've at least seen it. And they know what's coming, the kind of tunneling you could do with a fastball and a curveball. So at least there's that silver lining to it. On the other side of things, um, they just, they were all over Zach Plesak. 
I mean, they were all over. There were ducks on the pond all over the place. And the dam doesn't break until the fifth inning when he gives up a crooked number. They give up three runs. But they were, I mean, it was he was amazingly walking a tightrope the whole game. The first inning, first batter gets on, then a double play. Then he walks the next two, then gets a ground out. So three guys reach base in that first inning alone. Second inning uh, gives up a single. Uh, someone reaches on a fielder's choice, so two guys on. He walks Altuve with two outs. Bases are loaded again. He gets Gurriel to ground into a force out. So he loads the bases in the second. He gets out of it. In the third inning, he would give up a run. Jordan Alvarez would single. Um, Bregman would fly out. Diaz would fly out. So two outs now. Pena with a soft single to Jose Ramirez. Alvarez goes all the way to third base on a throwing error by Ramirez. And then Chase McCormick would deliver a single uh, on a ground ball to Tyler Freeman. And it would bring in the run to score. So the first run of the game comes in. He would then walk Dubon and load the bases again. So uh, back-to-back innings, he's dealing with loaded bases. And he strikes out Maldonado to get out of it. So really, really walking the tightrope. In the fourth inning, it go one, two, three. So it's looking like maybe he's going to keep us in this game. He's throwing a lot of pitches here, but maybe he's going to keep us in this game until the fifth inning. Bregman starts things off with a single. Diaz would walk. Uh, Pena would fly out. Uh, Bregman would move to third. And then Chase McCormick would single on a line drive to center field and uh, bring in Bregman to score, make it a 2 nothing game. Diaz goes first to third. Uh, Sandlin would come in in relief at this point. So these are inherited runners now. He gets Dubon to fly out to right field. They don't test Nolan Jones's arm. I did notice that. They respected Nolan Jones's arm. And then Maldonado with a double. Uh, he pulls one down the left field line, past Jose Ramirez, right over the bag. And it would bring in both runners to score. Chaz, Chaz McCormick scores all the way from first on this one. So there you go. Those were the last two runs credited to Zach Plesak. So, I mean, they are just all over him, right? At least two guys on base in every inning, loading the bases in the second and third innings. I mean, he just, I mean, that's what we're talking about when we're talking walk the tightrope. Like, you're just, you're you are about to fall off this thing at any moment, and he somehow keeps it going into the fifth. Now, his final line of the day, four and a third innings pitch, seven hits given up, four earned runs. Remember, two of those were inherited runners for Nick Sandlin. Five walks on the day. Well, that'll do it, right? That'll do it. Four strikeouts on 99 pitches. He's only hard hit four times. So it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like they were just hammering him. I mean, part of it is he's doing it to himself with those five walks. They are the most walks given up on the season uh, by Zach Plesak in a single game. Five walks. The next highest was four walks against the San Diego Padres way earlier in the season on May 5th, on May 4th. Um, so yeah, his first time giving up five walks on the season. So I'm not surprised he takes the L in this one. You just, you can't be doing that. Uh, was any pitches working for him on the day? Uh, not, not really. The four seam fastball a little bit, but was not getting much on the slider, not much on the changeup. Uh, not much on the curveball. I mean, it's a whiff rate of 17%. Uh, it's weak contact. I mean, the average exit velocity off him on the day is 80.9. But when you're putting five extra guys on base, uh, bad things are going to happen to you. So it's not a very good day for uh, 
for Zach Plesak. Sandlin comes in. He gives up the inherited runs. Brian Shaw. So then the interesting thing is they said if Brian Shaw and Kurt McCarty don't have to pitch, then they might do the exact same bullpen thing they've been doing for the last two times through the rotation for tomorrow's game. However, uh, Francona made it very clear that that was not going to happen. Once Plesak gets knocked out of this game early, he immediately goes to Brian Shaw and then Kirk McCarty to get the final three innings. Uh, McCarty gets hammered for a couple of solo home runs in the seventh inning, but would settle down and finish the game. Uh, so uh, it was both it was fastballs away to right-handed hitters that end up going for those home runs uh, for... Kirk McCarty, where are they at right here? Uh, let's take a look at those home run pitches. And, you know, everything, by the way, everything getting hit was middle of the plate in a way. Whether it was Kirk McCarty, whether it was Zach Plesak, everything getting hit was middle of the plate in a way. Uh, I, there were two fastballs down the middle of the plate that he gives up hits on. And then everything else is on the outside edge, even away even off the plate, but they're all at the belt. I mean, almost perpendicular to the belt. It's unbelievable. Uh, they're just straight across the strikes. Actually, wait a minute. No, perpendicular is up and down. Parallel to the belt. There we go. Uh, just straight across the strike zone. I mean, middle of the plate. Yeah, you end up there, you're going to be in trouble. And that's exactly where Kirk McCarty's two home runs he gives up to Maldonado and Chaz McCormick. Fastballs at the belt slightly away, and the righties hammer him out to right field. So, yeah, the Guardians pitching definitely sitting middle of the plate way, way too much on the day. Uh, so, yeah, so it's not a good game all the way around. I mean, there's not a lot of nuance to this game. It's the bottom of the lineup that does most of the damage for the Houston Astros. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Altuve was on base three times. But he doesn't score a run. He doesn't drive in a run. He actually doesn't factor into this at all. Uh, but multi-hit games from Jeremy Pena, the shortstop in the six-hole. Um, Three-hit game from Chaz McCormick, three RBIs. Maldonado with a multi-hit game, the catcher in the ninth spot, and he has three RBIs. So all six runs are driven in by your seven and nine hitters in the lineup. So I, I thought that was interesting for the Astros. Yeah, uh, it's a rough one. I, I wish there was more detail I could go into on this one. There's just not. It just wasn't a good day for the Guardians. Uh, they, I mean, Verlander is having one of the best seasons of his career. And I, I sh it's shocking to me. I mean, he's on pace to be a 20-game winner again. But he's got the lowest ERA of his career. He's never been below two before on his ERA. He's down at 173 ERA on the season. That is incredible for a guy that's been doing this for so long, since 2005. His first time ever with an ERA under two at 173. His batting average against is the second lowest of his career. Some of his numbers in 2019 were absolutely fantastic. He made one start in 2020, so I'm throwing that out. That's an outlier there. Doesn't pitch in 2021. But in 2019, he had a 172 batting average against. He's down to a, he's at a 188 batting average against. Uh, his second lowest of his career. The WHIP uh, is again the second lowest of his career. That 2019 season, it was at 0 0.80. Now it's at 0 0.85. Uh, so yeah, pitching really, really well 
uh, some other numbers that are like the best of his career. Um, the run scored per nine, obviously his ERA is the lowest of his career. Well, his run scored per nine is also the lowest of his entire career at 2.28. Uh, even in that 2019 season, it was at 2.66. The OPS is at the best. His OPS against is at the best of his career at 0.519. That's what their OPS is against him. 519. Even that 2019 season was at 580. So by far the lowest of his career. The Ks per nine aren't, you know, he had been in double digits before. He's at 8.79. His strikeout to walk ratio is not the best of his career. He had been up at seven before. He's at 5.52. He's not giving up home runs, though. 0.83 home runs per nine. It had been that good before. He had limited home runs a lot in his career. So those are some of the numbers for Justin Verlander, and you can see why he's heading right towards another Cy Young this year. I mean, he's absolutely got to be the front runner for the AL Cy Young, and you can't believe at age 39, he has been this good. But you saw it last night. You absolutely saw it last night, and the rookies especially saw it. Jones and Benson definitely got a firsthand experience of what great, great pitching looks like. I know Verlander's been a problem for us his entire career, right? We had to deal with him in Detroit for all those years. And now with Houston, but we say it a lot on the show, you got to give credit where credit is due sometimes. Uh, MVP on the day, oh, God, I, there's really nothing here. I mean, I'm going to give it to Stephen Kwan because he kept the hit streak alive. Somehow he manages off of uh, Ryan Stanek in the eighth inning. He manages to keep the hit streak alive. So, Quan, uh, sure, MVP on the day for keeping the hit streak going. There's not much uh, worth uh, worth mentioning here in the Guardians box score, right? Like, there's there's nobody else who really had themselves a good game here in the box score. So, uh, let's wrap up this game and let's move on to the other news. Uh, everybody on Guardian Twitter, once Shaw went in, once McCarty went in, was wondering what are the Guardians going to do for a starter tomorrow? I had a very interesting conversation with a Zach on, found me on Twitter, has found the show and started listening. So Zach, thanks for the good conversation last night. Uh, we were debating who could it be? Could it be Badenfeld finally? Well, no, it turns out it's going to be Hunter Gaddis who's going to be starting tomorrow for the Cleveland Guardians. This guy has made a meteoric rise through the minor league system. Uh, he's not super young. He's 24 years old. Uh, so it's not like one of these like 20-year-old guys that just flies up through the, uh, through the prospect rankings. Um, but he did pitch. In 2021, he pitched in high A at Lake County the whole season. This year, he starts at double A. And now he's going to climb three levels. With a start tonight, he's going to climb three levels of our minor league system in one year. He made uh, 14 starts, 15 appearances at AA, jumps to AAA, made only two starts at AAA, which is unbelievable, and he's going to be up here in the majors. Uh, he doesn't show up in the top 30 prospects on MLB.com. Fangraphs has him as the 33rd prospect in our system. Uh, some of the scouting reports on him from Fan graphs, they've got his fastball at a 50 grade, his slider only at a 45, his curveball at a 40. Uh, what I was reading somewhere that he doesn't use the curveball very often. 
Uh, the changeup being his best pitch, a 55 grade with a 60 uh, potential. His command is only at a 40 with a 45 potential. His future value at a 40. Um, I was reading somewhere on Twitter. Someone said that his changeup is pretty nasty. We're talking Eli Morgan levels of nasty with the changeup. And the fastball velocity is there. Can get it up in the mid to high 90s. So it works really well with that slow, slow curve and the changeup. So we're going to see it. We're going to see it firsthand at Progressive Field. Uh, I thought this was interesting. I was reading an article about Gaddis over on uh, the blog site, Everyone Everyone Hates Cleveland, uh, from Gage Will, who's someone very active on Guardians Twitter. Uh, But he has an interesting note here at the bottom of his article. Uh, Bieber and Aaron Savali made eight starts at AAA before they were promoted. Uh, They have a a track record of doing this, of giving guys a few starts at AAA and getting them right to the majors. So Bieber and Savali only made eight starts at AAA. Eli Morgan only five starts before he got called up. Plesak made four starts in Columbus before he was called up. Well, now Gaddis has made two starts before he is called up. Now, we don't know if he's going to stick like Bieber, Savali, or Plesak stuck at the majors. Morgan bounced back and forth a little more, obviously sticking in the bullpen this year. So I don't know if this is a spot start for Hunter Gaddis. We don't know what the timeline is on Savali's injury. I think they said he might start a rehab assignment or might have been assigned to some kind of rehab start. But Hunter Gaddis is here for now. He's, he's making his Major League debut tonight, the 13th Cleveland Guardian, to make his debut the other thing from this article is that his his numbers, like his his FIP and his ERA, might not look great if you look over his stat page. But his strikeouts per nine are double digits. His walks, he keeps his walks down, and so it's numbers like that that are enticing to the Cleveland Guardians, uh, you know, front office. So that's why he's getting promoted. So some of this numbers under the surface are why Evan Gaddis is being Hunter Gaddis. I'm sorry, is being promoted. And get ready, because he is, I mean, he's got a look. He's got the hair, the beard, the glasses. It's a thing with Hunter Gaddis on the mound. I'm guessing that Cleveland fans are going to fall in love with this guy when they see him out on the mound. It's going to be a lot of fun tonight. He's a big guy, 6'6", 260, right-handed pitcher. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun watching him make his Major League debut. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. I know it's a short episode, but hey, we got our butts kicked by Verlander. What am I going to do? Again, the final from Cleveland. It's a rough one. It's the Astro 6, the Guardians nothing. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.